1: Hello everyone and welcome to Not Just Cricket. I'm Mark Nicholas. During this series of podcasts, I speak to a glittering array of devotees, vanguards and stars of the game that has played such a huge part in my life. The premise is to investigate the journey successfully taken by each of my guests while hopefully unraveling a little of their soul too. My guest today is arguably the world's greatest contemporary batsman and captain of the team that represents more than a billion people, most of them cricket fans. It's said that he's a signpost for modern India, which may well be the case. He is, of course, Virat Kohli. And when we chatted, he was, like so many of us, in a lockdown of his own and still awaiting the birth of his first child. Virat, wonderful to see you, albeit uh, across the internet. Are you well? I'm
0: good, Mark. Thank you. It's great to see you as well. Yeah, strange times. We hardly ever chat like this or have chatted
1: like this before, but yeah, it's good to see you. There's a first time for everything and there's a beginning for everything. And what we want to do today is explore your story, which is a story of high achievement in a field that has such a massive audience, particularly in your own country. I'd like to start at the beginning and ask you, if you would, to paint a picture of your childhood. Well, my childhood was like any other kid in India. Growing up,
0: watching cricket, no one really played any professional cricket. It was just more fun and games, just playing with my friends in the park. But then somewhere down the line, I figured out that I have a strong passion for something and a passion that
1: needs to be followed. When you say somewhere along the line, do you mean while you were still very young or once you got into your early teen years? No, I was quite young.
0: I mean used to play with the senior guys in my neighborhood, tennis ball cricket on Sundays. And I was able to copy most of the shots that I saw cricketers play on TV. And there was a friend of mine who used to watch cricket and understand cricket properly. Like he was a keen follower of the game. And he went ahead and told my father, listen, I think you need to enroll him into an academy. He can be very good at the sport and he can learn it properly. My father happened to see this academy in a certain part of Delhi and that's where I first, at the age of eight, started practicing the basics of cricket and I've been working with the same coach ever since. Obviously, the Indian team of the 90s really opened up my imagination of what could be done in this sport because it was so much more different to anything else that I'd seen before, anything that anyone had seen at the time. And it just just installed a lot of faith a lot of belief in me that you know magical things can be done that if an individual decides or believes that something special can be done it can be achieved so that's where the spark started and from then on this dream of mine of wanting to play for the country really started when you began to unravel cricket what did it feel like i felt like i was just having the time of my life because you know there's one thing that you can like something, one thing that you're passionate about something, but when you actually start realizing, listen, I actually can do this. And you know, that excitement starts unfolding in your whole being. And, you know, you almost have butterflies in your stomach every time that you play and something magical happens and your body becomes warm with absolute happiness and, and just the pure joy of being able to do something that you always wanted to do. I remember when I started learning the sport and the first few professional games that I played, And when I was able to play like the most basic shots of cricket and get boundaries of it, I felt like, wow, this was literally something that I didn't feel like I could do till about 10, 12 months ago. And now I'm in this moment, living it, doing it. And it's a reality right now. So every day, just the pure joy of wanting to learn and the pure excitement of things unfolding one after the other just kept giving me more belief that
1: this is the path I want to go in and this is absolutely what I want to do in life and nothing else. We share an unhappy start to our lives in, in one area. I lost my father just before my 11th birthday and he was the inspiration behind my cricket and you lost your father when you were 18. I was fascinated by a quote from your mother, actually. Virat changed a bit that day. He matured. Cricket became very serious in his life and our lives. It was as if he was chasing his father's dream. Yeah, when I look back um, at that particular time now,
0: it's probably the most impactful thing that happened to me at the time. You obviously go along in your cricket journey, but after a stage you figure out, is this something that I really want? And that incident really put things in a proper perspective for me. Because my father did work very hard in my initial days to make sure that, you know, I get the best cricket gear or I continue with my cricket practice. There's no problems in the enrollment fee in the academy, taking me to games here and there as well. So there was a lot of effort that went into it. And then from there on, it really made my belief even stronger that come what may, I'm definitely going to realize my dream to play at the highest level and represent my country.
1: I think in my case, certainly, I found the loss of my father led to an immediate desire for independence. I found myself within weeks, really, of going back to school, I hated being told what to do. You know, I wanted to lead everything and I wanted to make my own decisions, thanks. Does that make sense to you? It does. It does uh, in many ways. And I was
0: always someone who took a lot of pride in wanting to be the guy that wins the game for my team. And yeah, that incident really solidified that part of me even further, where I felt like if the situation is difficult, I believe that I can find the strength to overcome that situation, purely because of what I had faced from a
1: personal point of view with the loss of my father. That toughness in you, that obvious sense of the need for competition, even confrontation, Do you think you can attribute that to him or to your mother in any way? Or was it just somehow inbred in you in a way you can't explain? I don't
0: think that I've picked it up from my parents as such. I think it's circumstantial, more or less, because I'm the third child in the house. Um, (laughs) So I had to, (laughs) I always had to sort of um, show my participation in a way, announce that I want to be part of a group. And I used to play with people who were seven, eight, 10 years elder to me. So to make a mark, I had to be competitive.
1: And that's where I think this part of my personality started building up. Was that to make a mark in life or just in cricket? I mean, did you take your brother and sister on in things around the house or other sports? Well, I was always the guy who everyone understood that I have a lot of passion. I I love
0: this sport. A lot of the times I was made to field all day. And then when it was my turn to bat, everyone went home. And I was the guy picking up (laughs) the stumps and the bat And the cricket balls and going back home and keeping this stuff safe. And then I would come back again on Sunday, hoping that this time around it won't happen. So yeah, it was more to do with fighting your way through uh, these small little things. And then even at age group level, playing in Delhi, it's very competitive. I was not a part of a very big club, not a very renowned club. So I had to fight my way through the system, through my performances, through sheer number of runs that I scored to be able to be seen and to be able to be heard and really announce myself that, you know, I'm there.
1: I'm there for selection. You wear your heart on your sleeve, your desperation to win cricket matches. It's more than just the competitive spirit one's used to in a sportsman. It's more than just wanting to win. It's needing to win. It's as if every fibre in you is inspired by the challenge, really. It is. It is in
0: many ways. I would say the disconnect for many years now that people can't seem to understand or can't seem to process a lot of the times is that I've never worked towards creating a perception for myself, which is perfect from a worldly point of view. For me, what matters is what I can do as an individual and how much I can provide on the cricket field as an individual. I cannot fabricate things to look good in front of a certain set of people that's just not who I am because to me those things are not relevant when the top priority is to to try and win every situation every moment every ball for your team and it's not only down to when I bat I'm like that in the field as well as I, I sometimes celebrate not sometimes most of the time celebrate more than my bowlers and that's that's just how I'm built and I believe I, I need to give everything that I have on the field and then I can accept the result afterwards, but I need to sit down and think, have I given everything that I had on the field? If the answer is yes, I'll accept that result thereafter
1: and then move ahead. Have you ever watched yourself on a highlights reel <laughs> celebrating a wicket or or seen that animation, seen how your eyes change? Soft they are now as I look at you across the internet. They become hard, almost confrontational on their own, just your eyes, the, the mouth tightens, the desire to win is written across your face. Hey, do you ever see that and think, oh my goodness, <laughs> that's too much? Or do you think, yes, that's me? I think at the end of the day, what we all need to realize is that we, we need to be our organic
0: selves. And as long as we are being that, then we are really true to who we are and we're living life. Mm. Obviously, there are things that you, you can't co- cross the line and there are things that you feel, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. There are mistakes along the way all the time. And characters are different. If you look at a Pujara, his true self is how you see him on the field. So to expect him to come out of that zone and become really, really passionate in a way that I do it, it won't happen. Similarly, for me to go into his mold completely would not be possible. So I think we all try and balance things out somewhere or the other. Um, Understanding with maturity, with the more you play, Mm. what are the things that cross the line, what are the things that don't, but still have the ability to keep being true to yourself. Because if you stop doing that, you're really not doing something which which comes naturally to you. And I don't think there's any satisfaction in that. Uh,
1: Can you define what playing for India means to you and what your ambition is for Indian cricket? Playing for India is absolutely a top priority for me.
0: It's a chance for me to represent 1.3, 1.4 billion people. It's a chance for me to inspire people with what we do on the field, what I can do on the field as an individual. And that's my driving force today. If you look back at how this team of ours has gone through a transition and come to where we are in world cricket. There's a good reason behind that, that we are absolutely passionate to represent our country and represent in a way that it teaches competitiveness to people watching. It teaches people that you can compete, you can beat anyone anywhere in the world. And when you're getting on a plane to go play in foreign conditions, you're excited and not intimidated. And as long as we can instill that belief and that competitiveness in generations to come, then we've left this place
1: much better than what we came into. Do you buy into the idea that you represent modern India, an India that has decided it'll no longer be submissive, it'll be a dominant force, particularly in the sport? Firstly, I
0: think all humans are equal at every level. There's no reason why you can't be equal to someone else or you can't stand up to someone else in any environment. You know on the field of play, there are many things that happen in moments where people are not watching. And those are the moments that really bring you together as a team and say, okay, the world doesn't know what's going on, but we do. And this is the direction we're going to go now. And we're going to stand together as a team. I think at the end of the day, when you're playing competitive sport, that's the mindset you have to be in. If you're going to go to a place and just accept defeat... I don't think that's an option at all, and you'd rather not
1: play at the highest level if the mindset is that. Mm. So let's go to the mindset then. Uh, you clearly had a fabulous talent when you started playing, but you weren't satisfied with yourself. You felt you got caught having a good time too often, and that your time in the game would be short. The story goes that in 2012, you picked up a bit of Novak Djokovic in terms of his discipline, his regime, his determination to fulfill his golden years, true or false? Absolutely true. I think the beginning of it was purely
0: down to me realizing myself that I'm going to end up wasting the best phase of my career if I don't get my system right. If I don't have a proper routine, if I don't become professional, I'm going to do injustice to my talent and the opportunity that God has given me. And that realization was so strong that from the next day onwards, I changed everything about my routine completely. From diet to working in the gym to resting properly, everything changed from next day onwards. And no one else could have pushed me in that direction. And I strongly believe that anything that you need to change needs to come from within you. No one else can push you or force you to change. And you have to have the awareness to understand and make that change at the right time. And thankfully to me, that change happened in 2012. And from there on, when I saw the results on the field, I told myself, I'm never going back to my old self because this is exactly who
1: I want to be and this is exactly what I should have done from day one. And with the dedication to the physical fitness then, did that tighten the mind? It did.
0: It made me mentally way stronger. It made me feel more comfortable about my own game. Because I felt like I don't really need to take risks at stages of the innings when it's not required. If the team needs quick runs, I can run six doubles and over. And I can do it for many overs in a row without taking any risks. So I was happy. I was relaxed. I was comfortable with my game. The boundaries and the sixes and all that followed. But I was never in a rush. I never felt like I was in a rush at all. And that was purely down to the physical work that I put in. I think it gave me a more overall dimension to my game, which might not have been the case back in the day and probably would have compromised by taking too many risks and might
1: not have been as consistent at all. Okay, just a short break for a word from our sponsors. Welcome back. I'm Mark Nicholas and you're listening to Not Just Cricket. Let's get back to the interview. I guess it's not always smooth sailing because in England in 2014, you really struggled with the moving ball. And I read, I didn't immediately believe it, but I I read that you suffered your own little period of depression.
0: I did. It's not a great feeling when you wake up knowing that you won't be able to score any runs. And I think all batsmen have felt that at some stage or the other where you know that you're not in control of anything at all. And you just don't understand how to get over it. I think when you look back at a very difficult phase, you realize that you had to go through that phase fully to be able to understand what's wrong and rectify it and move forward and just open yourself up for change. Accept that there's things that are going wrong. But yeah, that was a phase where I literally couldn't do anything to overturn what I was going through. And it was lonely. How
1: lonely did you feel?
0: I felt like I was the loneliest guy in the world and that's what happens you can really push yourself into a downward spiral where you feel like you're going further down with each day that passes but then when things turn around you feel like well maybe I was being too harsh on myself I was putting myself down way more than what was required for me to change. So now I think with years passing by, I understand that there's a line that needs to be drawn. And beyond that line, if you're going downwards, it's absolutely not required.
1: Yes, I mean, I think mental health is a big issue globally, actually, and specifically for men. How did you come out of that? And what advice would you give to others who are suffering from it?
0: Well, for me, personally, that was a revelation, firstly, that you could feel that lonely, even though that you're a part of a big group. I wouldn't say I didn't have people that I could speak to, but not having a professional to speak to who could understand what I'm going through completely, I think is a huge factor. And I think I would like to see it change. Someone that you can go to at any stage, have a conversation around, listen, this is what I'm feeling. I'm I'm finding it hard to even go to sleep. I feel like I don't want to wake up in the morning. I have no confidence in myself. What do I do? A lot of people suffer with that feeling for longer periods of time. Having seen a lot of people through the sport that we play in a team environment, on tour, day in, day out, maybe it carries on for months. It carries on for a whole cricket season where people are not able to get out of it. The only alternative left after then is, yep, the guy didn't do well. He doesn't do well for six more months. Okay, fine. He's out of the team. Get a new guy. But that doesn't solve the issue. I think that's a very serious condition that should be dealt with absolute detail and very carefully. And I strongly feel a need for professional help there, to be very honest. Otherwise, you're just left to figure out things on your own. And and more so as men, you're just expected to toughen up and say, Mm. yeah, just get over it. Sometimes people are not able to.
1: I heard that when you got back to India, you did speak to Sachin about the technical side of playing that style of bowling.
0: I did have a, a chat to him about the mental side of things as well. And the thing that he told me was... In cricket, what he experienced was, if you're going through a strong negative feeling, if, if that's coming into your system regularly, it's best to let it pass. If you start fighting that feeling, it grows stronger. So that's the advice I took on board. And my mindset really opened up from then on.
1: I want to now turn to the art of batting, something that I would say you've come as close to perfecting as any batsman I've seen. Sachin, I think... I'm right in saying, called it the floating technique. Others call it zone, the whiteout. Do you have those innings, those periods where you're just right, just everything, you just walk to the middle, you take guard, and you're just, you are floating, and you know, you just kind of know, you know, that all is well with the world. Yes, I've experienced those kind
0: of innings quite a few times in my career. But I truly believe that you can get into that frame of mind every innings that you play in. If, as you I w- said, you wish you told right. me that
1: forty years ago. Sorry to interrupt you. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I've started to realize now is that sometimes we get too far ahead of ourselves, and once we are in that floating zone or in the zone, we start somewhere forgetting how we ended up getting into that zone. And for me, consistency is all about that. Consistency is all about remembering every innings that you play. If I don't remember the 30-35 balls that I played in T20 cricket and what I did in different phases during that innings, I will not be able to repeat it at all. Then it's For me, it's just a fluke. But if I'm learning from every innings that I play, there's no good reason why I can't get into that frame of mind or into that zone if I'm being absolutely honest and non-egoistic about going through the hard yards again and again. And that's something that I try to repeat every time that I play. I try to set up In a very similar manner. And invariably I do end up feeling during pockets of every innings that I play that yeah this is my zone. I almost feel like you can hit every ball. For me to play with the intensity that I play with comes from the acceptance or the understanding that there's no limit to what you can do. I think somewhere sometimes what we end up doing is we start thinking of too many norms when it comes to cricket the law of averages, the averages take care of themselves, impactful performances, how many can you have? It doesn't make sense when someone has 10 impactful performances in a row, but I never feel like there's a limit to how much I can provide on the field, how much effort I can put on the field every game that I play. If my life is designed in a way that I can afford to give 120% every game, and even if I play four games a week, I can do it. If I sit back and accept that, It's not possible to do it four times out of four. Then I've already surrendered
1: before I can realize my own abilities. Have you watched the Netflix series, Last Dance? The the Michael Jordan story with the Chicago Bulls. The expectation on Michael Jordan each time is immense. I don't think it's the right parallel with you in India and the expectation on you, but there is enormous expectation on you. How do you cope with it? expectation
0: is honestly a burden when you start thinking about it too much in the past I have thought of things that are not necessary because at the end of the day the expectations are connected to what I can do on the field so I need to be in the best frame of mind to be able to do my part on the field in the best way that I can and I will do everything to prepare accordingly and not think of the expectations if the expectations are met afterwards great if they're not I still continue on my journey and try and do it one more time. And that's basically what you play for at the end of the day. You want to be in the challenge. I step onto the field every time now thinking or knowing that everyone is expecting me to do well. The opposition knows they want to get me out. I want to stay in because I know I can make a difference. And that's the fun of it. That's the challenge. It's whoever cracks first. And why would you not want to be in such an exciting position every time that you play that you have the privilege to test yourself every time that you play cricket. And that to me is an honour. It's actually a privilege to be in that position and you actually feel grateful that you are part of these moments where stakes are so high and you have an opportunity as an individual to overcome your fears every time that you go out there to play and then you become a better human being, I presume, after every game.
1: Let's come back to the art of batting. How much of it is technical and how much of it is mental and how much is it preparation, visualization, and tell us. I think for me, it's 70% technical. I know a lot of people say that it's
0: 80% mental. From a preparation point of view, yes, it is. When you're preparing for a game, you're not really thinking about whether my bat's coming down straight or not. You've already done 70% of that work since the time you start playing cricket. And from there on, 30% is left to, yes, I believe I have a good technique. And whatever's thrown at my way I'm good enough to tackle it. If you don't have strong foundations in place, I don't think you can be mentally as strong because you still have doubts over your own game firstly. And then you're really fighting against yourself at all times rather than thinking of what can I do in this situation. And then the rest is taken care of by your mind because your mind knows that you have put in the work and you're ready when you step onto the field. But from a mental point of view, I have a lot of conversations with my wife. Anushka and me have such great detailed conversations about the complexity of the mind and how it can pull you into negativity and what are the things that matter to put things into perspective. She's been a a pillar of strength for me in that regard because she's herself is at a level where she's had to deal with a lot of that negativity and that mental strain herself. So she understands my situation, I understand her situation and to be able to have a life partner that understands exactly what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're going through. I don't quite know if I would have had that clarity if she wasn't in my life.
1: I I do want to talk about Anushka. This relationship does mean everything to you. You, I see you around the world and invariably you're together and often you're alone together rather than in a group and your interdependence is, is clear. That in itself is a magical thing, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's beautiful
0: to be able to spend such quality time together and love spending quality time together. Most importantly, we love being with each other. <laughs> there's, mm. there's no other explanation for it at all. You know, we, we realize more and more as we grow in life that it's really spending quality time together that really matters at the end of the day. Because you're together for life, you're in this journey forever and everything else that you do is all really a part of it. You continue walking on that path together years after everything's done and dusted, your family's growing, everything's moving on but still you're two people that chose to be with each other, that chose to come together and Mm. just move on in life and move forward from there on.
1: Virat, you, you won't thank me for this but why not? 2018 Time magazine listed you amongst the 100 most influential People in the world, you're listed in the Forbes top hundred sportsmen in terms of earnings. In other words, it's a very privileged position in which you find yourself. I wondered how that felt and whether it ever crosses your mind, it may not, and and how you can use that, what you think you should do with that going forward, what your legacy might be. This is one of the conversations that
0: Anushka and myself have regularly. It's her who actually put things very clearly for me to understand the position that I'm in and what I can provide to the society in general or to people through my position. I don't know what my legacy is going to be. If I can keep standing up for something that's right and keep standing up for things that should be done to improve whatever system I'm part of, I would like to be that guy. Helping a lot more people together, both of us want to move forward in that direction. As you mentioned a few things, you know, we both couldn't have imagined that we'd be blessed with such a healthy life, privileges that we couldn't have imagined. Our goal in life will be to help others, to make a difference in society, wherever we can, to reach out to people in a very organic way, and to improve lives as much as we can. This is exactly mm. the the path we want to take. It's beyond you after a stage and you should
1: be able to give give and give all I really want to do is say thank you partly for the day but partly for being the cricketer you've been um because you've given so much pleasure you're already in the pantheon um of the players that have ever been and certainly in the top 10 I've ever seen um if not higher up the list than that I can only see you improving so been fascinating to talk thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure Thank you, Mark.
0: It's always nice to talk to you and uh, thank you for such an insightful. uh, I've hardly ever had a a conversation like this before, so it's really refreshing.
1: Well, it's riveting to hear Virat so candid. A special thanks to him for his time, energy and insight. Especially, of course, as we're now in the thick of a Test Match series that clearly has his juices flowing. Next week we have Eddie Jones all to ourselves and we delve deep into the mind of the man from Oz whose wife is Japanese, who coached the South Africans but whose ambitions nowadays, of course, are with the England rugby team. Subscribe to Not Just Cricket on this feed or on any other platform where you find your podcasts and expect new episodes every Thursday. This is a Message Heard production by the brilliant Eva Krisiak and the music is composed by Matt Huxley. Bye-bye for now.